Today's first scripture reading comes from Psalm 103, uh, 10 to 12, and can be found on page 606 of the Pew Bibles. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This is the word of the Lord. Today's second scripture reading comes from Philippians 3, uh, 12, onwards to 4, uh, verse 1, and can be found on page uh, 1180 of the Pew Bibles. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold for me, a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now, I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, uh, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. Hello. Good to see everyone again. Today we will be in our fifth part of a six part series in Philippians. We're almost there, almost done with the letter. Before we start, we will do a quick review of what we talked about last week. Last week, we saw that Paul has encouraged us as Christians to be joyful in the Lord. We should be a community known for our joy. Paul warns the Philippians against believing false gospels, gospels that say you need Jesus and you need something else for salvation. And Paul reminds us that we must not put any confidence in our flesh, in anything else besides God as Jesus is our only hope. In comparison with knowing Christ, everything else is a loss. Loving and knowing Jesus has surpassing worth, and our sole goal in life should be to seek him. Let's pray as we get started for our verses today. Lord, please speak to us through your words. Uh, Please pierce our hearts, God. Please humble us. Help us to know you more and to obey your words that you have for us today, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. 
Today, uh, as, as Jonathan just read, we'll be going through Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to start off with verse 12, but it will also be helpful to read verses 10 and 11 for a bit of context on that. And so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, I'm now going to read Philippians 3, 10 through 12. Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So as we talked about last week, we see in verses 10 and 11 Paul's sole goal in life. He wants to know Jesus and to be directly in his presence. He wants to seek Jesus with everything in his life, even if that means suffering and execution. When Christ comes back, when we are resurrected and made new, Paul wants to be with God. We see that Paul has his priorities straight. Verse 12 follows directly then from this. And again, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In many translations, the phrase obtained all this is translated as been made perfect. So, so another way to read this verse would be, not that I have already been made perfect or have already arrived at my goal. And so either way you translate it, probably Paul here is talking about his own imperfection. He hasn't been made perfect. He hasn't obtained all of this. He is saying that he's still a sinner. He's still struggling against his flesh. He still needs to work out his salvation, as he talked about earlier in the letter. He also says he has not yet arrived at his goal. His goal, as we just said, is to know God and to be made new in the resurrection and to be in God's perfect presence. And so Paul has not yet been made perfect, and he has not yet arrived at his goal. And this brings us up to the second part of verse 12, which says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. We'll now focus on the phrase, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Here we're going to take a bit of time to talk about a concept called the already but not yet. As Christians, from Paul until today, we live in an interesting time in salvation history. We live in the time where Jesus has already come in the past, 2,000 years ago, and where we know he's coming again in the future, but right now we live in this in-between time, in between these two points in history. Jesus has come, died on the cross, rose again. In Jesus' death and resurrection, he took the wrath that we deserve upon himself. In this, Jesus defeated the power of death, defeated the power of Satan, and now Satan and the forces of evil are just biding their time before eternal destruction. And so even though we are justified before God, even though our sins are forgiven right now, we are still right now imperfect people today, as Paul says. We are still tempted by the world, we're still sinners, and we are still being sanctified. Through our struggles, God is growing us to be more like him. For us, as Paul just spoke about, we hope in Jesus' coming return. When Jesus returns, we will be resurrected and we will be made perfect. 
God will make us new and we'll no longer struggle with this sin anymore. He will bring us into his presence forever. This is a beautiful truth um, and a hope for our future that we have as Christians. And so today, we are in the age of the already but not yet. We have already been forgiven by Jesus. We already know we will be with him for eternity. But not yet have these things fully happened. Jesus has not yet returned. We haven't yet been made perfect. And Satan and evil have not yet been eternally punished. These things are to come, but when Christ returns only. And so in this verse, I think we see a picture of this. God loves us so much, and he takes a hold of us first. Right? Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Jesus first loved us, died and resurrected, and he first sought us out. He has forgiven us our sins and has made us righteous before him. This has happened. And Jesus took a hold of us to bring us salvation and make us new, to bring us into his presence for eternity. And these things have happened in part now, but will come to fulfillment when he returns, will come to full fruition. Right now, as we live in this in-between time, as Paul says, we must press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken a hold of us. We must seek to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We must seek to be sanctified and to grow to be like Jesus. And we must seek, as Paul has so often mentioned, to have joy in God. This seeking and living for God, as Paul has said over and over, is God providing us the strength to live for him. It is living out of the power that God provides for us. And so here again, Paul is saying that Christ Jesus has already taken a hold of us, God has already done the work and is already working in us. And now we should also seek God with the ability that he has given us, with all the strength that he has already given to us. In this in-between state, in the already but not yet, we as a church should be pressing on to obtain what Christ has already given to us. To flesh this out a little bit, we can imagine a, a courtroom scene, so an imaginary scene. God is the perfect judge at the front of the room, and we walk into the courtroom as criminals, as sinners. We have rejected God. We've disobeyed him. We are his enemies. We lie. We're jealous. We're arrogant people. And we step up to the front, and knowing we are doomed, we beg God for his grace and mercy through Jesus. And God then slams down his gavel, and sentences us, saying, I forgive you, and sentence you to the resurrection, being made new and perfect. You're now my child, and I will take care of you. You'll be in my presence for eternity, and you will have perfect joy with me. Go and live. Now, imagine you walk back down the aisle, out the door. You're judged. The ruling has been made. Jesus has saved you, and you will be with him in perfect joy. You clearly did nothing to deserve this. And so now you have the choice of how to live. In our freedom, do we seek to live up to what God has already given us? In our freedom, do we choose to seek God with our lives? There's nothing else like this, right? Our wonderful God has given us so much already, everything that we can hope for. Now we have the chance to seek him together. We'll move on to our next verses now. So this is verses 13 and 14. They read, Brothers and sisters, 
I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here we are going to focus on Paul's phrase, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. As we press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken a hold of us, as we just talked about, as we strain toward what's ahead, we should not let our past failures, our past mistakes, our past sins hinder or discourage us. As Paul just said, he is not perfect. He is still a sinner struggling against his flesh. And so as we walk with God in our life, we should not be so discouraged by our failures that, we, that they distract us from seeking God. As Paul says, we should forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. Now, this definitely does not mean that we should be fine with living in our sin. This is not at all a license to sin or an encouragement to not take our sin seriously. But I do think it means that if we have confessed our sins to God with a right heart before him and have repented, that we then should move on. We should know and be confident that we are forgiven by God and that we are free to now continue to live for him. Forgetting what is behind is really an outward expression of fully believing and having faith in Jesus. Forgetting what is behind shows that we believe that Jesus has fully forgiven us when we truly repent, that our sins are gone, that he has made us righteous before the Father. Psalm 103 gives a beautiful picture of the truth of God's forgiveness. It says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. They are gone. As far as the east is from the west, our sins are gone. His love for us is is as high as the heavens are above the earth. His love is so great we can't comprehend it. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or pay us back for what we have done. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead is an expression of faith. It's believing that God has done for us what he said that he has done. It's believing our sins are forgiven and that we're now free to continue to strive for him. I've often struggled with this in my life, and I think a lot of Christians have. Often when we sin and we've asked God for forgiveness and have truly repented, We continue to think about or or condemn ourselves and dwell on the sins that we've committed. So instead of praising God for the forgiveness and love that he has for me, I will, for example, insult myself or tear myself down or think that I'm not good enough. And I'll go back again asking forgiveness from God for the same sin I already apologized for, for the same sin I already repented for. It can be hard to forgive ourselves, right? It, It can turn unhealthy not relying on God. And when it comes down to it, I think when we do this, it's really a form of arrogance. We sometimes think our sins are so deep that that we can't forgive ourselves. But the truth is, God has forgiven us. God loves us so much and our sins are as far as the east is from the west. 
if God himself has forgiven us and does not dwell on our sins, who are we to not forgive ourselves and to not move on to dwell on our sins? God forgives us, and we are definitely, definitely not greater than him. He is the judge, and he's deemed us clean. God forgiving us then also gives us the grace to forgive ourselves and, and to move on, to continue to strive for him. Let's forget what's behind, as Paul says, and let's strain toward what is ahead. Let's do what verse 14 says. Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Now, for the sake of time, we will quickly move through verses 15 and 16. These say, All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So in verse 15, Paul says, Anyone who's mature in their faith should have this view. Those mature in their faith should realize that they're sinners, that they're not perfect, and that they have not totally obtained the goal of their life yet. And those mature in their faith should press on towards Christ. They should strain forward for Christ, not dwelling on the past. In verse 16, Paul again says something similar to verse 12. Paul said in verse 12, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Here in verse 16, again, he says, Only let us live up to what we have already attained. This again shows that, that concept of the already but not yet. Through Christ we have attained salvation. Through Christ we will have perfect joy with God. We are justified and made new in him. Now as we live today as people still broken, let's seek to live up to this. Let's seek to glorify God through his commands. And this takes us up to verse 17 where Paul says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Here, Paul urges the Philippians to join in his and his co-workers' example and lifestyle and to follow others who do similar. And I think at a first reading, this could sound a little bit arrogant, Paul saying, join together in following my example. But what exactly is Paul's example here? Paul has basically saying, been saying that he isn't perfect, that he's still struggling and striving. Paul is saying he's trying to live up to what God has already given him. Paul has been rejoicing in Jesus. So Paul in this is basically saying, join me in humility. Join me in admitting your own inability to save yourself. He really isn't being arrogant at all. And he's saying, join him and them in continuing to strive to glorify God. Forget your failures. Christ has forgiven them. Strive on, rejoice in Christ. Now, I want to take a bit of time to talk about the phrase, keep your eyes on those who live or walk as we do. When we have role models, when we have people who are examples that we live by, it's vital that we look at their lives, at the way that they walk with God. Paul doesn't say, keep your eyes on those who have good words, who teach well, or who are popular. We should not look at people just based on the words that they say or the teachings that they are giving or because they have an important position, for example. Our role models should be those who live out their faith, who have a living faith like James talks about, 
those whose faith is expressed through their deeds. Today, I think this verse is especially important as we live in the age of the internet, where we can get teachings from amazing teachers and speakers from all over the world. This is in many ways good, right? Access to good teaching is obviously a good thing. But at the same time, for people we see online or read their words in a book, for the most part, we have no idea how they live. For the most part, we we don't know who they are or if they walk daily with God. In the past years, we've seen countless famous Christian pastors, evangelists, teachers who've been kicked out of their ministries because of the way they live, because of the way they walk, and because these things came out to the public. The toxicity behind the camera came out. And so as Christian people today, we need to be especially wise about who our role models and who our examples are, who we listen to and who we look up to. We first need to look at the person's life, how they live out their faith. We need to look at their character and their walk with Christ. Just because the person has helpful teachings or they have a book with a picture of them on the front doesn't mean we should follow them with our life. Our role models, our examples, have the potential to lead us away from Jesus. If we trust them, it matters. In the previous verses in Philippians, we have a short example of someone who Paul honors. Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church to come and help take care of Paul's needs. Epaphroditus wasn't doing anything flashy, right? He was coming as a caretaker. Epaphroditus really lived out his faith in this moment. He traveled easily over a thousand kilometers to bring aid to get food and water to Paul and to tend to him while he was in prison. He got sick during this. He almost died. And again, there's no mention of Epaphroditus being of high position, being a popular teacher. There's no mention of him sounding good or or looking good in front of others. But Paul says this about him as he sends him back. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. The honor of Epaphroditus comes from his walk, his actions, serving God, risking his life for God. Coming and bringing aid was not a flashy job, but Epaphroditus was to be honored for it. Epaphroditus serves as a role model for the Philippian church and for us here today, living out his faith in service to the Christian body. As Paul does here, let's do the same. Let's let our examples and role models be those who live for Christ, those who walk with Christ daily. Now we're we're coming up to an end today, and we'll read these verses 18 through 21. For as often as I have told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So, let us have our examples and role models be those who are living for Christ, as most people around us don't live for God, as most... 
of those around us, as Paul says, live as the enemies of Christ. Most people have their minds and their hearts set on earthly success. People take pride in their sin. And Paul says their destiny is destruction. Their destiny is not to be with Christ in the resurrection, as Paul is so seeking and striving for. And Paul is not talking about those who don't know Christ arrogantly, as if Christians are superior. He says he is telling them this with tears. It's breaking his heart that there are those living without Christ. For Christians, our reaction to our family and friends not knowing Jesus should be sorrow and empathy. We should, not, we should want so deeply for our loved ones to experience and know Jesus, to know God's perfect love. And for those of you who aren't sure about God or who, who don't know God or don't believe in him, I implore you, receive his love. It's there. He's knocking on the door of your heart. You just need to open it up to him. Now in verse 20, Paul juxtaposes the life of those who know Christ with those who don't. Those who don't know Christ, he says, are stuck living for earthly things. But for those who do know Christ, their citizenship is in heaven. Their minds are set on Christ and they have the mindset of Christ. They live for God. They're striving to live up to what they have already attained. In the end, loving Jesus results in God resurrecting us, transforming our bodies to be like Jesus, glorious one. And Paul has now brought us full circle again, reiterating his goal from verse 12. These are the things that we strive to attain as Christians. And Paul rounds this off by concluding in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Because we know Jesus will come back, that he will resurrect us, renew us, bring us into his presence, let us stand firm together. Whatever your circumstances are, whether that's wealth or poverty or an apartment or prison like Paul, let's stand firm in Christ. He is coming and he is going to make everything again new. So as we go this week, let's strive to live up to what we have already attained in Jesus Christ. Let's believe that we are fully forgiven in Jesus. And let's look up to those believers who truly live their life for Christ, imitating their devotion to God. Let's stand firm together in the Lord as we await Jesus' return and the fulfillment of God's promises to us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for giving us so much. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on the cross for our sins and and resurrecting and showing your deep, deep love for us and glorifying yourself, God. Let us live for you out of what you have already done for us, God. Let us strive to attain what you have already given us, Lord. In your name, Jesus. Amen.